0: Welcome to Pretend You Read It, the podcast about classic literature. Hello, I'm Sam, your host, and I'm returning from a bit of a hiatus, but now we back, new and hopefully improved. Uh, With that, we're coming back strong with a heavy hitter. Do you like drama and doomed romance and also Russian politics and grass? Because if you do, you're in luck. Uh, We are doing Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy today. Russian lit and this book in particular have kind of reputation for being like the exact opposite of a light read so brace yourself and buckle up. So Leo Tolstoy was born Count Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy, I hope I said that right, in 1828 to an aristocratic family in Russia. The family had a very long history uh, dating back to 1353 in Chernigov which is where is now uh southern ukraine that's so long 1353 is that's good record keeping i'm just saying so he had four siblings and his parents died young so they were all raised by relatives and when he later went to university his teachers described him as quote both unable and unwilling to learn so let that be a lesson to you that you shouldn't give a shit about what other people think just saying Halfway through school in 1851, he dropped out and started parting it up in Moscow and St. Petersburg um, until he and his brother joined the army, where which is where he started writing. So his experience in the army really affected him like it does for so many people. And after that, he started to change his religious and political views. Like they really started this shift that would kind of carry on throughout the rest of his life. Uh, after the army and witnessing a live execution in France in 1857, he quoted he was quoted in a letter to a friend saying quote, "the truth is that the state is a conspiracy designed not only to exploit but above all corrupt its citizens henceforth i shall never serve any government anywhere" true he began to adopt the principles of nonviolence or ahimsa and even gandhi wrote to him when he was a young lawyer asking him for advice on the issue which is pretty cool So he went on another trip throughout Europe and kind of hung around France in particular in about 1860 to 1861. And that's where he met Victor Hugo and Pierre Joseph Proudhon. And these two men had a huge influence on his politics and his views as a writer. He was super stoked after this trip and all the ideas that were exchanged on it. So when he got back to Russia, he started 13 schools in the countryside where he was born um, for peasant children. However, they eventually failed because of Russian czarist harassment and the monarchy. So he was also married um, to Sofia Andrivna Bers, and they had 13 fucking children. Uh, She was initially like his co-pilot, so she was editing, being secretary, managing the finances, and copying by hand all of his books. So one can assume that during that time their marriage was, you know, all right. But um, I guess their marriage kind of had a reputation for being kind of terrible and incredibly miserable, um, at least in the later part or from the middle to the end. Because eventually his views became more radical um, and he wanted to like renounce all of his material possessions and, you know, his aristocratic standing and even the rights to some of his books Um, and she was like nah so their marriage is pretty shitty and at the end of his life is when he decided to separate from her so I guess better late than never right and he died in 1910 when he was 82 from pneumonia at a train station like he just got off the train station at a train station I guess and like just keeled over on a bench um isn't that crazy like Bernie Mac died of pneumonia it's I had pneumonia when I was a baby, like, it's crazy that that's still just like, yeah, people die of pneumonia, like, anyway. So you can't talk about Tolstoy without mentioning his political and religious beliefs, but they're pretty extensive, there's like volumes and volumes written about them, so I'll try to keep it light and summarize as best as possible, Um, though if you're curious about that, there is so much for you to read about it, like, really, he was a very interesting guy. But he was basically uh, what you would call a Christian anarchist, and he believed strongly in nonviolence um, and like, the literal teachings of Jesus, so like, as obviously as dictated in the Bible, but he was, he was more about like, oh, what Jesus said versus like everything else in the Bible. Um, so he denounced the church and like organized religion, those aspects of belief, but um, he did believe in God and did identify as a Christian in the terms of, like, following Jesus in particular. Uh, He was born an aristocrat, but, like I said, began to reject all of that, and by the end of his life was all about living, like, a minimalist, pious lifestyle. And his wife didn't like that, um, and that was a huge cause of their marriage being so garbage. But uh, his religious, moral, and political views are heavily put into his writing, naturally, of course, like anyone's would-be. Um, And I think Anna Karenina, which was published in 1878, so that was about like, you know, 15, like between 15, 18 years after his, um, it was published as a complete volume in 1878. It started, it was published serialized like for a couple years before that. Um, So that's about, you know, 15 years or so after that trip to France where he exchanged all these different ideas with those writers. So uh, I think This book is a really good example of him sort of heavily inserting his beliefs into his writing and he considered this to be his first true novel and some of the greatest writers that ever lived or consider the greatest writers have ever lived Considered this book to be the greatest book ever written. So let's find out why So we begin by meeting Anna and her extended family in Moscow This is a complex family tree, but I'll try to string this along so it makes sense. So Anna has one sibling, Stepan, a.k.a. Steva, which is like the Russianized version of Steve. I like Steva way more. Uh, So Steva is married to a woman named Daria, a.k.a. Dolly. Lots of nicknames flying around here, just saying. So Anna, they never really say her age, but we can assume she's probably like mid to late 20s. And she's married to a guy named Karenin and I guess the Russian or like Slavic custom is to add an A to the last name if you're a female so hence like her husband is Karenin and her her last name is Karenina so anyway um so she's married to this guy named Karenin um last name who sucks but we'll get to that later she's described as being like exceptionally charming and beautiful and just like her and her brother very similar in that regard And we start the novel by finding out that Steva has cheated on Dolly yet again, and Dolly found out about it, and so she's pissed, and she wants to leave him. They have, like, I think, like, five kids together or something. So she wants to leave, and so Steva calls Anna to try to talk to Dolly for him, you know, talk her into staying and all that stuff. Steva is described as being, you know, charming and jolly, that kind of guy, but he really has no intentions of staying monogamous. I think he says something like, how can a, it's like being a man in a bread shop. When you see like all these different kinds of bread, like how can you resist yourself from like trying them all? Um, so anyway, Anna succeeds in talking Dolly into staying with her brother. And later she meets Kitty, who is Dolly's little sister. Kitty is girl crushing on her real, real hard and uh, she's like, oh, she's so beautiful and like, oh, like blah, blah, blah. And so Kitty has finally like come out into society, like a debutante kind of thing. And they, um, so she kind of looks to Anna, as sort of like a mentor kind of initially, like at this beginning of the book when they first meet. And so they all go to this ball and Kitty has the eye of two dudes. We've got Lenin, I mean Lenin, <laughs> no, Levin and Vronsky. Both Levin and Vronsky are noblemen, but Levin is kind of awkward and wholesome, like he lives, you know, mostly out in the countryside and stuff, while Vronsky is like the outgoing, sporty, strapping military guy. Basically, Levin is Betty and Vronsky is Veronica. So Levin, however, actually loves Kitty and Vronsky just kind of sees her as like a crush kind of thing. Um, so much to Kitty's dismay though, Vronsky gets the hots for Anna, who he actually ran into on the train earlier that day. They lock eyes. You could cut the tension with a knife. It's awkward, but like kind of hot. Anyway, Vronsky wants to dance all night with Anna and Kitty is pissed. So of course, Levin being Levin has perfect timing. And while she's pissed, he proposes to her basically, not, not at the ball, but like, you know, kind of tries to make a move and stuff, and then eventually proposes, and she's like, what? So she doesn't necessarily say no, but she doesn't say yes, she's just kind of like, what? And he goes into, like, a full shame spiral with, like, she's hesitated, she doesn't love me, I shall never love again, away! And they say women are dramatic, you know? So he goes back to his farm, he, like, banishes himself from society, And Kitty actually gets sick from this whole experience and has to go abroad for her health, right? Like, I'm honestly wondering what Victorian women would think of women today. Like, post-breakup and everybody had her on Instagram in their best dress or out on a unicorn pool floaty, toasted on tequila. Hashtag, for my health. I wonder, I feel like they would probably do the same. I feel like they would. They just saw that, like, I feel like Victorian women would hella wear leggings all the time. They would just love that. They'd be like, I'm wearing... As little clothes as possible things that are like pants but not quite pants yes anyway uh, Vronsky starts following Anna around after this so he this is all happening in Moscow and she lives in St. Petersburg so she goes back to St. Petersburg and he's in the military so it's a good excuse to be like oh I'm in St. Petersburg too and so initially she's like yo I'm married but she's kind of into it she can't lie and so when she goes back to St. Petersburg, she's just, like, this is where we kind of see her depressing home life. She has a son, Seryozha, who is, like, not a baby. I think he's maybe, like, eight or nine or something. Who she loves to bits. Like, that is her reason for living, basically. But her husband, Karenin, is the worst. Jude Law played him in the Joe Wright film. And bad casting because he was nowhere near as repulsive as described in the book. Like, he just seemed kind of annoying and, like, self-righteous and pious religious guy but in the book he's described as just like having a really shrill voice and being just like this is all. he's like basically like an automaton like he's a little robot um and he just like does not understand human emotions at all but uh, her husband is much older than her and um is yeah apparently pretty thug and just all of these things just devoid of any sentimentality or tenderness at all He's also a public official, so he's, like, always oh, blabbing on about, like, morals and the law and, like, more morals and, like, just never, like, a personal conversation, like, how was your day? Oh, cool. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, yours looks beautiful today. Nothing. Um ugh. So, but up to this point, she's just kind of tolerated it and spends her time pretty much like with her son or like out in society with her friends, mostly ignoring her husband, but not really minding him that much because he's always busy and never really home either. So her meeting with Vronsky kind of changes all that. Um, Vronsky keeps trying to come around and she's into it, but she's obviously married and she, you know, isn't like a piece of shit. She's like, okay, I don't know. Not that I'm defending affairs or infidelity by any means. But I think context is key in this, right? Um, she's obviously married and like does feel some kind of like way about this. She's like, okay, I'm really attracted to this guy and like, oh, like, you know, I love him and all that, but like, it's not right. And I don't know, like da. and they have this back and forth for a while. It's very soap opera-y and he even shoots himself from like the agony of not being with her. He lives, of course and they you know start doing the thing and eventually one day at the races he falls off his horse and she like freaks out and you know because she thinks he got hurt and this is the like first public show of their affair and everybody notices because you know those are the times when like people were just watching everybody else all up in each other's business including her husband who was there so he's kind of in denial about it all, um, but eventually she just blurts it out and is also, like, tax on, like, I also don't love you. So mm. to, this is kind of, like, where the story gets a little, like, more complex um, because first he tells her to just, like, stop seeing him. He's like, don't see him anymore. I forbid it. Like, people are talking about us and you, and, like, I can't, you know, I'm not having it, da-da-da-da. Um, But, of course, she does anyway. And then he's like, I'm at my wit's end. Like, I'm going to kick you out of the house. And she's initially like, okay, fine. Like, I want to be with him anyway. But then he says, oh, well, I'm going to keep custody of Sirioja. And she's like, no fucking way. Um, So she stays. And she gets knocked up by Vronsky. And weirdly, um, when her husband finds out about this, he, like, she gives birth and almost dies. And he has this, like, weird religious experience about the whole thing and is like I'm filled with Christ's love and all that and he forgives her and um, for the cheating and is like and you know also having another man's baby and stuff and he's like it's okay just live here um, it's fine but she's I don't know somehow that makes it worse she's like ugh, like you're too forgiving I can't I can't live here so she says no and she takes her daughter who she named Annie and um, they go live with Vronsky out like you know they go abroad so side note during all of this levin is kind of in self-imposed exile so there's these two parallel stories kind of happening at the same time i really don't like this guy he's boring and he's kind of self-righteous um after his rejection he like throws himself into work at this at his farm and uh, there's literally several chapters on grass and how the grass grows and cutting the grass and surely it's one big allegory for life and hard work and there's lots of commentary on russian peasantry and the lives of aristocracy um but levin is a character i just don't understand like he seems to say one thing and be like kind of like a sympathetic overall nice guy and a good employer um but at the same time he doesn't like he seems to kind of look down on the peasants and makes an argument about why like sending them to school is pointless and russia needs to maintain itself as like an agrarian society i don't know personally this was the hardest part of the book for me because it felt like such a slog and really i want to know about this relationship drama love triangle business you know the book is called anna karenina and now let me read about her but um yeah so at this point you know anna takes off to go live with Vronsky abroad they you know pack up and go to Italy. And that is where we'll pick up in part two of Anna Karenina. As for the, um, the main like issues, you know, that are throughout this book, I feel, I don't know if Tolstoy was a feminist by any stretch, but, um, I wonder like on the topic of sexism, because I feel like the double standard there is pretty clear that like why does steva for example or even vronsky like steva gets to like you know have affairs and all that stuff and everyone knows it but it's like oh like i can't like his wife of course is like oh my god you're you're the worst i fucking hate you but like her options are what like to get divorced and then she has no money like she doesn't really like she could get divorced legally at the time but like Well, where would it leave her? You know what I mean? Socially, in that society, or, like, you know, society of the 1890s, like, a divorced woman is, like, kind of used goods, you know what I mean? So, and plus with, like, five kids, and uh, Steve is not exactly paternal, so he'd probably be like, yeah, okay, like, well, you take care of the kids, it's fine. So, um, you know, I just, there's that, and then even Vronsky, like, granted, Vronsky's not the married one, but... He is living with and sleeping with and has a child with a married woman. Um and he like gets to just operate just fine. It's Anna that is the slighted one. Um, so but like she's in this shitty, like between a rock and a hard place, right? Um, because she realizes she's not in love with her husband. She hates him actually. Um, whether or not like her feelings for Vronsky are just like a, you know hot passing fling or whether they're like true like long-term feelings she realized she's not in love with her husband and doesn't want to be with him wants to be with someone else um, and again I'm not defending her but like context you know is she's basically told like well either you stay married and suck it up or you get divorced and have to give up custody of your child and can never see him again or you live as a mistress and both things happen. And also no one will speak to you. So cool. You know, like, I have to wonder if that was a an intentional thing to illustrate, you know, and highlight within the novel that, like, how unfair it is and eventually, like, what she ends up doing to relieve her situation, you know, like, if that was supposed to be, like, a pointed argument about, like, this is nonsense or, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting. Um, also the morality issue, um, Tolstoy had a lot of opinions on politics and spirituality, etc. And those are plainly explored in most of Levin's conversations. So if you're interested in that, those would be something you'd want to, you'd want to tune into. Honestly, they're boring as fuck. Um, so I'm not even going to get into them for me. I'm sure people that are very interested in philosophy and all that stuff would love that, but I'm not really one of those people. Um, but uh, when it comes to Anna, there's a whole view of like, I think I think he said, Tolstoy himself, I don't quote me, but he said some, something to the effect of like, you can't build your happiness off of someone else's unhappiness. And that, um, you know, we see that start to take shape more and more as Anna starts her life with Vronsky. And I think that that's a really interesting perspective to have. Um, And then the characters in this book, I honestly don't really like any of them. In a way, I do feel bad for Anna. Um, Actually, I feel bad for kind of all of the women in this novel. And I think Tolstoy does a pretty good job, actually, of capturing the inner thoughts of these women. Uh, Levin views Kitty as this, like, saint of holy purity and goodness. uh, But she's just like anyone else. And, you know, she makes mistakes. And it's just like, well, I'm just a human being. And, you know, it's funny how... Someone else can see you that way, but she doesn't see herself that way. Of course she, you know, sees other people like there's another friend she makes and, um, she's like, wow, she's so good and pure and so, you know, wonderful and pious and all this stuff. I wish I was like that. Um, so it's just, I think that's a really good, he does a good job of capturing the sort of like duality that people, you know, the expectations people put on you versus like the reality of you as a person. Um, so Dolly is also supposed to be, like, the doting mother, right? Like, she puts up with her husband's infidelity and, you know, like, takes care of her kids and homeschools some of them, takes charge of their education and everything. But even she has her moments where she's like, yeah, this kind of blows. Um, and obviously, Anna, first and foremost, is like, I have to do what's right for me. So where that all ends up taking everyone, we will find out on the next episode. Um... So thank you guys so much for listening. And again, much apologies for the long hiatus. Uh, I promise I will not be doing that again. It was so long. It was like a month or two, maybe. I don't know. Uh, But I've revamped my format and my organization skills are like sharp as a knife. And I've got so, 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 so many books in the pipeline. So as soon as I can read them, like the sooner I can read them, the sooner I can like post um, some more episodes. So it's about to get poppin'. Um, Follow me on social medias at Peeripod on Twitter and Instagrams. And um, that's P-Y-R-I pod. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. So follow me and stay tuned. Thank you all again. Bye.